It's nice to see everybody today. It's a very uh, big weekend, isn't it? And a bank holiday as well, so uh, that's great. Now, when I uh, prepare my talks, my sort of plan is that um, we usually get the topic a month or so in advance. And so I then uh, read topic a few times, read chapters around it, pray about it, read some books around it or something, um, and uh, then comes big day. Um, the problem with that is that sometimes the week before, somebody gives exactly the same talk, except better uh, than what you're going to do. And so, so that happened to me this time with uh, Claire's great talk. So I thought, oh, that's a shame. But then I thought, on the positive side, that if you do find you're feeling a bit sleepy and you nod off, that's fine. You just go on to church, catch up after the thing, look on the website and see Claire's talk. And you won't have missed anything. So, so, so there's good news. Now, uh, this week, uh, we're looking at um, Isaiah 40. And uh, this is uh, in the middle of the uh, book of, um, of Isaiah. And I really like middle. I don't know what you feel about middle. So I'm a middle child. I'm middle-ish age. And uh, when I was at school, I always used to sit in the middle I don't know how you find about that. You still sit, sit, keep your head down. You tend to find you get keen people at the front, the naughty people at the back, and everybody else. So very different than church, if I may say. If you just look around and see if you think that's true for uh, a church or if... if, if uh, but so for me, uh, middle is, is, is uh, very good. Now, the, the book of Isaiah is written in quite a turbulent time of history for uh, uh, God's people. There's lots of change, lots of challenge, lots of tricky things. And so I think for me and for us, it's a brilliant book to look at and to read at the moment. I think it's about kings and kingdoms, which is obviously relevant. And there's so much going on. Now, our church is obviously well known for its IT skills. And uh, I'm not so good at getting IT pictures, so I've drawn this myself, but I'm not sure how well it's come out, so it might help to turn the lights off for this next slide, because uh, this is my killer slide, but I, I don't know if you can actually see it. <laughs> so can anybody see it? I really apologize for this, because this is, this is my absolute genius slide. Um, so this looks, can, I, can anybody see it actually? Just, you can, you can see it, okay, thank, thank, that's, thanks mainly to Steve. Steve, IT has been revolutionized by uh, uh, Steve and Hannah, to be honest, so, so uh, that's why it's so smooth today, if I may say so. So, uh, so here we go, so this is, we're looking at uh, Israel and Judah through uh, about 6700 BC, so obviously a long time ago, and you've got little kingdom Judah right in the middle. And uh, you have the scary big Assyrians to start with, uh, and then later on you have the scary Babylonians, you're stuck with Egypt below you, and then you've got the Mediterranean. Now, just a matter of interest, who likes the Mediterranean? It's actually one of my happy places. Yeah. So for most of us, it's a happy place. But for uh, the, the Jewish people and the, the Israelite people, tended not to like the sea. You've got a few fishermen in the little sea, but nobody likes the Mediterranean. It's a bit of a scary place. Philistines come from there. So, uh, so they're pretty much, God's people are surrounded. And they've got 
enemies pretty much on every side. Now, if I start a cult, and I just need to pre-warn you, if ever I start my own movement, uh, it's going to be based in the Isle of Wight. Because it's such a straightforward... Who's been to the Isle of Wight? Just a matter of interest. It's such a, like, who wouldn't want to put your kingdom in the Isle of Wight? Nice beaches. Uh, it's quite interesting. Uh, it's, it's, it's very well demarcated. You, you never hear of the great battle of the Isle of Wight. It's just a safe place. Everybody's happy. And um, so, 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 but God's people, they are right in the middle of, of this challenge. And, and I, think, I think we feel so much for our own lives, to be honest. We feel right in the middle of it. And, and we don't like it. It's quite unpleasant uh, because we've got all these bigger, scarier things about us. But I, I think part of the thinking of today is that we're going to have to get used to it. Because God almost wants us to be in the middle of it. That, uh, that, that where God often calls his people is to be in this wrestle um, and, and, and in this challenge. Because the, these other kingdoms, these other peoples, they lived a very, very different way than the people of God uh, were going to live. God's plan, and as you look through the books of Deuteronomy and the history books, God's plan for his people was that uh, they would be God's people, that they would rely on him, uh, that God would be their king, that uh, they wouldn't have their own army, they wouldn't have a, like a regular army, but that uh, they would be a, basically a people's army because God was going to fight their battles, God was going to be their king. And so the, the, the whole sort of God's sort of plan was really for a vulnerable people, but people who God would live amongst and God would keep them safe in these very different nations. And the reason for that was that God was just a very different God. God was a very, very different God than the, uh, the, the, than the peoples around him. This God was the God of the whole earth. This God was the creator God, not a local regional God. Uh, but this God was the God of everything. Now, when, when we read through Isaiah, so the first uh, 35 chapters are when Assyria is the scary thing, it's going to blot everybody out. Then, as we heard last week, Assyria went to pot, uh, and then Babylon becomes the next threat. Israel's trying to sort of make agreements, alliances, not depending on God, depending on uh, these other nations. Um, and, 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 and then what happens, the whole chapter 40 onwards is completely different book almost. Because what's happened in 40 onwards is there's been a big change and that Babylon has invaded Judah and all uh, the people there, apart from a tiny sort of um, very poor population, get deported um, to Babylon. So you have God's people away from all they've known, all they've trusted, and they're in captivity. And um, so they, they've messed up, really. They, they, God's plan was God was going to look after them, but they've made some not great choices as a country, and they are in captivity. And just reflect on ourselves. Where are we at the moment with God? Are we living free? Are we living... Um, trusting in God, God living with me, or are we living in captivity? Are we living with things that are just, 
holding us, that, that are just, we're just fine, we're not free. So what, what we can do is just see, uh, the talk for this week is really, this is our God. What is our God like? Now, the sort of key verse of, I love this, sorry, it's got a really cool thing, you just move it across like that and it changes anyway. I'm very grateful, Steve, so cool, so cool. Uh, so, um, the, in verse 9, the uh, key verse is, this is our God. What is our God going to look like? So remember, people in captivity, what is God like? So the first verse is, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's double for all their sins all her sins. So the first verses of, of a loving father, our father, to people, to us in captivity, is comfort. A God of comfort. And we see reflections of this in the New Testament that um, uh, in, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 1, praise be the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. And so I think the message that Isaiah wanted to say to his people in captivity, the first thing from heaven was comfort, a God of all comfort. And we often beat ourselves when we mess up. We often judge ourselves. Heaven's voice, first voice, is, is comfort. And now, as, as we read later, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are, are like a bucket, a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor is animals enough for burnt offerings. Before him all the nations are nothing. They're regarded as worthless and less than nothing. So this chapter for me is, uh, Marion was saying chapter um, six a few weeks ago was, was pretty much her favorite chapter in the Bible. Uh, I think for me, Isaiah 40 is probably, well, certainly in my top 10. I love this. So God, again, is orientating his people into what he is like. We've got this compassion, a God who carries us, uh, like, like a parent would, would, would hold a child. He is bigger than the problems that we face. He reminds us, he reminds them that God is bigger. 
I mentioned like last time, I was challenged once when I was just faffing around with something and a, and, and a friend came up to me and said, Phil, your God is too small. And, and, and I think all of us have that. The problems seem so big. We are living in, you know, we look at the climate crisis, we look at this crisis, that crisis. My gosh, it's so big. And then as, as we spend time with God and his word, we start seeing a God who is way, way cleverer than us, way, way uh, more powerful, uh, more, more, more wise than us. Now, the, the next bit, so what, what happens, um, it happened to the people in Israel, it happens to us, is that when God feels far away, uh, we, we start turning to idols. And uh, we'll just have a look at this next. Um, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They looked for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. And what happened to the Israelites, because God felt so far off, we sort of come up with, with mini-gods, gods that we can probably see, that we can touch. You remember way back in the Old Testament when Moses disappeared up a hill, the people set up a gold calf. Because we want something almost that we can touch that, that feels a bit nearer uh, than, than, than God. And um, so obviously we all have idols and the, the, we're probably, if, if we come from a more Western worldview, we might be a bit more sophisticated about what our idol is rather than um, a lucky charm or a, uh, a, a, something sort of a little ritual that we do. Um, but we've all got idols, and idols are those things that we trust in that are going to keep us safe. The Israelites need what's going to keep, God feels far away, what's going to keep me safe? And it, it might be for us, it might be, um, it might be a relationship that we've got that, oh, they'll look after me, they'll keep me safe. Uh, it might be um, the government, feels a long shot at the moment, but uh, the government will keep me safe. <laughs> I don't, don't think we should go there. That's probably a down there idle. Uh, it might be the health service, which as we know is at the creek as well. So the gods, our idols are actually at the creek at the moment, just to pre-warn you there. Um, so it might be worth thinking again about this. Um, now, there's, there's a, 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 a Christian writer called Tim Keller. Has anybody read Tim Keller books? They, he's quite good. He's quite, sort of quite use, interesting books. He, he's written a book um, called Counterfeit Gods, which looks at the idols that we might have in, in a Western world. And this is a, a, a quote of his. The true God of your heart and my heart is what our th thoughts effortlessly go to when there's nothing else demanding our attention what do we enjoy daydreaming about what do we habitually think about to get joy and comfort in the privacy of our heart how do we spend our money our money flows more effortlessly towards the heart's greatest love and this is a real challenge this so I thought if we just take 30 seconds and just say God what what is coming an idol they're not necessarily bad things we we need a government system we need a thing but but it's where are we going to put our our hope our our, our trust um where's what's going to keep us safe so if we just take sort of 
few seconds and just think, God, what, what in me is an idol that, that's probably not a great uh, thing to have? Okay, uh, if, if we have a, a look now a bit more about um, uh, what, what Isaiah is saying um, God is like and, and what are these people in captivity needing to hear. And for me, these are, as we say, banging verses. So they are, they are lovely anyway. Um, Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground, that he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes, look to the heavens, who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is, list, uh, is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel... My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. Now, I, I, I love these verses because... One of the things I think we all struggle with is uh, just things are not fair. Like, you, you find that as a child, you know, your parents never treat you fair. You know, if you've got a brother or sister, they get treated, and they just do, they get treated better than you. They, it happens, right? It's not fair. And um, they, they, these people in captivity, so they were in captivity about 70 years. And... Um, you sort of think, for the people in captivity growing up there, it's not fair. They didn't disobey God or whatever. It was their ancestors. It was their parents, their grandparents, their great back. You know, so, so, so much of life we think, God doesn't see. Like, like how is that fair? And, um, you know, you might have circumstances in your household, at work or whatever. That's just not fair. And... Um, I think these verses for me really reorientate my sense of justice for me or whatever. That um, why do you say, Phil, why do you say my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? And I think this really um, reorientates us that God is so for us. He is so for us. And and he sees these things that are just not fair. You didn't do that. You didn't deserve that. We didn't. Um, but it's not hidden from God. God has seen it, noted it. 
Um, and I think sometimes things have happened to us way back that we put in a bottle or we put it, because that's us paying, that's not fair. Um, and I would encourage us all, if we've got things in the thing, just think, oh, that's not fair. Um, we sort of maybe find a, a friend or somebody just to talk through things that we feel is hidden from God and is disregarded by God. Because God wants us to know that our circumstances, his children, he cares about, he has seen. He ha- it's not forgotten, it's not lost, he's seen. Um, and God's on our side. And um, now, th- there was a, when, when I was younger, there's a theologian called J.I. Packer. Has anybody heard of J.I. Packer? Uh, he wrote a very famous book on slightly this topic uh, called Knowing God. Has anybody heard of that book, Knowing God? Now, has anybody actually read that book? No, well done. Uh, did you read it as well? Yeah. I, I've tried, I've read, I get to the, about the first chapter, and then it's like, it's so complicated. And I think, God's like this. Phew, I don't understand. So it's a very complicated book. So just pre-warning you, if you are tempted to read it, it's quite complicated. So have a cup of tea before you read it. Um, but um, one of his quotes, and, and this is uh, a lovely quote of J.I. Packer. The simple truth, God is for us, is in truth one of the richest and weightiest utterances that the Bible contains. The simple statement, God is for us, is in truth one of the richest and weightiest utterances that the Bible contains. So I really would like us again, as we sort of think about what is God like, and one of the key things God is like is he is for us. He is so for us. And our situations, our circumstances, he's for us. And a few more banging verses. Um, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not be faint. And who's, like loads of us would have read these again and again and again because we live in a world which is so weary. Like, um, you know, whether it's stuff we're doing, whether it's um, so much happening outside of there, but um, it's so easy, and you speak to most people, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine, a bit tired. Fine, a bit tired. That's normal, co- you tell me I'm a bit tired. If somebody says they're not tired, you're like, what, you're not doing enough? Because I'm lazy. <laughs> lazy, so if you hear that, just for you lazy person, just, you know, like, come on, come on, come on, you do more. Um, but um, the, 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 um, I think it's interesting, so, so it's also the, the um, Israelites were like that as well. The, the um, they were tired and weary. They didn't have their uh, mobile to keep them up at night or uh, whatever, but they were still tired and weary, and God needed to say that to them, um, that God was very, very for the tired and weary. And, and part of this, I wonder, is that God's original plan for his people was that he was their God, he was going to keep them safe. But when we don't feel safe, 
we're quite busy because we're looking for all the threats around us. Where am I going to, where's this going to go? What's going to happen to that kid? What's going to happen to this? On my job, on my pension? You know, and, and we spend so much time keeping ourselves safe, um, whereas God is drawing us today to say, no, I'm the one who keep you safe. And he might use many things, but I'm the one, I keep you safe. You can, you can be refreshed and recharged. And um, I think for all of us and, and um, finding time in our, in our days and whatever to those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Translated a different way can be those who wait on the Lord, those who wait. I think there's great strength to be had, isn't there, just from being still with God and, and just waiting and just being, um, just to get topped up because... There's obviously so many things going on around us. Now, we're coming to the end of our speech. Uh, I'm glad uh, it was slightly mentioned about the coronation because it's, it's, a, um, it's a bit of a schism. We heard, it like, you know, you either number one raving royalist or number one not raving royalist. And uh, I was thinking about that. And um, the fact is... Uh, we're going to have to get used to royalty because uh, in 1 Peter 2.9, God's children is a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a chose, uh, a God's special possession. So all of us are God's royal children. So the thing I was thinking about is, I don't know if you saw any of it, Mervyn, I'll take you, you saw none of it, but one part of it, there was a, uh, you see them all the, on the balcony. You have this sort of wave on the balcony. And obviously some people weren't on the balcony, might have been on the balcony, but anyway. Um, <laughs> but, but I think the, the voice of heaven is that you and me are on the balcony. We're children of God, the King. And, and however, whatever state we feel like, however worthless or however whatever, uh, we're all called to be children of a king, the great King Jesus, and we're on the balcony. So that's where our future is. So, so and, and uh, anyway, that's my thought about that. Anyway, swiftly moving on uh, and finishing. Uh, the conclusion of today is God is amazing. God is powerful, clever, he knows us, he loves us, he comforts us, and he is so for us. So it's been a bit of a rambly talk, and if anything specific spoken to you, just sort of take a note of it and uh, bring it before God, because, um, you know, this, this is our God, and, and uh, you know, it, it will do well to keep rereading that. Amen. <laughs>